Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I've been a Kelsey Brothers stan for low these many years. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. If you have ever said go with the flow, that's not a thing. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Packing takes exactly as long as you have to pack. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. And when they say I'll do whatever, they mean I will do nothing because you're going to execute. So why would I worry about it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about decision fatigue. One of those terms, Amy. I don't know that I can define it, but I know what it is. (laughs) But you're soaking in it. But I'm soaking in it. I have some research for you. I have a study for you that's pretty interesting. And I'm here to argue that default parents, of whom we are too, have this particularly badly. Can I tell you how this manifests for me in my current life? Sure. When I go to dinner, I'm like, like I tell my husband, I'm like, hey, get, order everything. Just, you know what I like. I don't even want to decide what's for dinner. That's my favorite kind of restaurant, right? Restaurant experience where you sit down and somebody's like, should we just share things? And like, yes, if you just put food in front of me, yes. If you decide, my sister, who's a foodie, she gets tagged with this a lot. She's the like, you order for everybody. And the other day we went for dim sum. It was a very long, kind of complicated menu. And there were 14 people or something at the table. And someone said, you order. And she was like, no, no, I'm not ordering. You know, she pushed back. She's like, I can't make one more decision. But yeah, decision fatigue. That's right. And this is what I was saying about my... um Apple Music, you know, shuffle. Like, I just want it to play me the music I don't know I want to hear. Like, that's what I want it to do. I can't decide what music to listen to. That's absurd. Decision free. Right. I feel that way about music and podcasts. Like, I'll save stuff. And then it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want any of this stuff I thought I wanted to listen to. I want something else that I want to listen to that I didn't know I wanted to listen to. Show me that. Yeah, it's not quite there. Well, we've talked about this in terms of and I think it, I was thinking about it in another context your day that I can't summon right now, but basically that back a couple generations ago, women especially had very limited choices. Like you could be a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher, and then you got married to a man when you were 21. Right. Those were your choices, basically. The boy who took you to junior prom, pretty much, or maybe, right. Yeah, you marry that guy, and then you just have as many kids as you have, because there's nothing to be done about it. Right. No decisions there. Like, the downside of that lifestyle, huge, as they say in New York, huge. (laughs) But the upside, you didn't have to decide anything. I mean, yeah, I'm all for free will. I'm all for choices. But there is something about that's right. Like you married like the ninth guy who took you on a date and then you taught for a little while and then you had kids. Yeah. Like junior high. My in-laws have been together since junior high, which was not even called that then. It was just called, you know, sixth grade or whatever. Yeah. I definitely have some family members who've been together since like 13 and it is a wild ride. And I'll tell you what I was thinking about this in terms of you ready because it's a bit of a departure. Taylor Swift's new boyfriend. So Taylor Swift's new boyfriend, football player for the Chiefs, but he hosts a podcast I love called New Heights with his brother. I love them, love them long before there was ever a Taylor Swift in the picture. You knew it. Yeah, you're not a Johnny come lately. The Kelsey Brothers. I've been a Kelsey Brothers stan for low these many years. 
God, this is the first time she's mentioning this, isn't it? I've never heard her mention this before. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't come up that much. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan, but they played each other in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Their mom is cute. Like, I've always been like, oh, the Kelsey brothers, they're adorable. You know? I have heard it's a good podcast. Not a stan, really, at all. I mean, I could barely tell you their names. but A fan, not a stan. A fan, not a stan. They're just like on my radar. It's like, oh, those cute, you know, big boys from Ohio. They're cute. And then I was thinking, one of them is now dating Taylor Swift. The other one is married to like this gorgeous, seemingly very cool girl, woman, young woman. But I was thinking, Taylor Swift has too many choices. Like, I don't know how, if you're Taylor Swift, you ever get married. Because like, you date everybody. They're all extremely good looking, successful, top of their field. And then, I don't know, how do you ever decide, like, I'll just marry the Kelsey brother at this point? Like, too many choices. This is like the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend video, which turned into Material World Madonna video. Like, it's so hard to decide between this jewelry and that jewelry. She's so fatigued. Yeah, I think it must be hard to decide between, like, this incredibly hot, successful actor or this incredibly hot, successful football player. Or like diamonds. Or diamonds. That's right. Like, it's kind of nicer to just be like, yeah, I met a cute guy. I guess I'll marry him. I don't know. We can't all be Taylor Swift, but we do all have decision fatigue. No, but I feel like Taylor Swift when it's time to decide what to get my in-laws for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's the one more thing. All right. So I'm going to give you the definition for decision fatigue because it plays out in the macro and in the micro. So Dr. Lisa McLean, she's a psychologist. She says, she explains it this way. The more decisions you have to make in a day, in a year, in a lifetime, the worse you become at making them. You run out of energy to make them. The more decisions you have to make, the more fatigue you develop, and the more difficult it can become. It's cumulative. So it's, you know, when you go out to dinner on date night and you're just like, I can't, I don't know, can you just order? Part of it is that it's 7 p.m. and you've had a really full day of making decisions. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that you get, it gets worse as you go along. The average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. Do we know what a decision is? Like, what does it mean? Like, should I take the left and go a long way or should I take the highway to the right? Yeah, and I think it's like opening the refrigerator and yeah, like what am I gonna make for lunch and this. And so this is, I'll put the link in the show notes. This is a oft quoted statistic and I kept trying to get back to the source. It seems to be a real statistic, 35,000 decisions a day. And that's for like, quote unquote, the average person. That's not a parent, a default parent, who's making decisions for other people. Right. It's obviously exponential when you're making all the decisions for kids and stuff. Exponential, right. When it's like, what should I get them for breakfast? Should I go this way or that way? Should I bring the snack or should I buy something there? Should I put the pink socks on her today, but she doesn't like the pink socks? You know, all of those decisions. Should I give them a bath now or should I wait till after dinner, but then mm, then their hair's going to be wet? You know, all that stuff that we make for other people. Exhausting. Agree. It's exhausting. And then thrown over the top, I would argue, is a partner who sometimes or often or all the time is like, you know, I'll go with the flow, whatever you think. Right. You're like, I am the flow. Right. I'll do whatever. I saw this on Instagram recently and I reposted it in our stories and those go away. So I, I couldn't find it when I was researching this, but it was a really smart momfluencer saying like, if you have ever said go with the flow, that's not a thing. If you went with the flow, that's because a type A woman made the decisions and organized it and made it so you could do that. Like, that's not a cool higher level of thinking. That's just letting somebody else do the work for you. And it was probably a woman. I'm like, amen, sister. And you're like, I heard that. Yeah. And I think that's very much, I can think of a lot of situations of like, well, just don't stress so much about it. It'll be what it'll be. And it's like, it'll be what it'll be means you do it. <laughs> River of crap is flowing to my doorstep. And I'm asking you to like help me divert it. And you're like, oh, it'll be what it'll be. And it's like, no, it'll be my problem. But it just will. Right. I'll have whatever for Christmas dinner. Like, okay. 
but somebody has to decide and go to the store and get it and whatever. And I think sometimes we do give the person who's like, I'm so easy. I'll do whatever a pass, but they're not doing anything. When they say I'll do whatever, they mean I will do nothing because you're going to execute. So why would I worry about it? Yeah. This is the guy I dated once who was like, I don't have a cell phone because I don't want to be like held down by, you know, the order of the world. And I'm like, yeah, it just means you annoy everybody else all the time. Like, right constantly good for you for stepping out of corporate America, but it just means we can't make plans and it's extremely irritating. Like it has no value beyond just bothering me. So I hope you feel sane that we all have too many decisions to make in a day, especially you, parent of three kids, you know, and you get to the end of the day and it's a little too much or the end of the year or, <laughs> or the end of the holiday season. Or just the end of five minutes, frankly. The end of five minutes, the end of the like, and now this one more gift I have to get, it gets to be too much. It's cumulative. Mm-hmm. And it manifests in certain ways. See if these feel familiar to you. Um, actual physical fatigue. I mean, it's hard to tease that out if like, I'm tired at the end of the day. Is that because I made too many decisions today? But Just because you're alive and a mom in America. Yeah. Right. Like I burned calories. I don't know. But actual physical fatigue, the feeling of brain fog, like you're sort of swimming through it. Like it's not I don't want to make the decision because I don't feel like it. It's like I actually I can't like super salad. I have no idea. You'll have to come back. <laughs> Got nothing for you. No, sorry. Just like it's a difficulty. These things happen and then there are symptoms. So here's how you know, I guess. These are the four symptoms that Dr. Lisa McLean says, these are the symptoms of decision fatigue. So this is how you know if it's decision fatigue instead of just fatigue, I guess. Okay. <laughs> All right. So procrastination, when you're putting a decision off until oh, later. This is my life. Yes. Right. Like I do this all the time. Yes. Impulsivity, making a rash decision based on no evidence at all. Like, fine, we'll just, we'll, like, <laughs> we'll do it live. Right? Who's, who said that one? Of the- <laughs> it Bill, Bill um, he's that guy from uh, uh, Fox News. Bill O'Reilly. We'll do it live. He's an old deluxe alert. <laughs> Back in my day. Do it live. So those are the uh, twins the same. <laughs> Google do it live if you haven't seen that reference, because you just have to see it to know the genius of it. So putting off the decision or impulsively making the decision. Or avoiding making the decision or, you know, or being indecisive and you can't decide. So, I don't know. I'm sorry for me to see the difference among all of these, but it's like all the ways to making a bad decision are the symptoms of decision fatigue. Yeah. And decisions are so weighted, right? Like, should I pull my child out of school and send them to a school that better meets their specific need? That I would call like a level one decision. I mean, it's a big, big, big decision. Should I get a divorce? Should I move to get a better job? Like, those are huge decisions. It's like, you can't wait that decision the same as should I unfreeze the pot roast or should we just have takeout? You know, I mean, the spectrum of decisions is so huge that it's hard to categorize decisions as a thing because I think that I am currently trying to get my house ready for visitors. And it's just what I find is that it's going to be the last 12 hours I have. So I have a cleaning service coming in to clean the house in 24 hours from now. <laughs> yeah. I will not, but that involves a tremendous, like cleaning the whole house, right? Like I have to clean the whole house so that the clean people can clean. Like at this point, there's just debris, like clothing, lightsabers, and, you know, pieces of paper with random elementary school assignments everywhere. I had to clean all that stuff up to get them to be able to clean. And I've known it was coming for a week, but I have just come to accept about myself that I will not do it until 12 hours out. And then I will be absolutely exhausted and I will stay up until 2 a.m. tonight doing it. But that's just how my mind works. Like there's no, I mean, otherwise I'm going to do it. Like I'll pick up two things and then I'll sit down and play Candy Crush and then I'll pick up one more thing and I'll get bored of it. You know, I got to be forced. The adrenaline of a deadline. Yeah, I got to have the adrenaline of a deadline. Someone told me a long time ago, packing takes exactly as long as you have to pack. I believe it was me. You're a genius. I mean, I've certainly said that to many people. Yes, packing is one of those things that, like a gas, it expands to fill the space available. You can pack in 10 minutes or you can pack in 10 days. I feel like cleaning is the same way to a certain degree. Like, it's not 10 minutes. Like, if I had 10 minutes, I would just be doomed right now. But I can do it in 12 hours if I, you know, scream and cry a lot. Have you ever gathered up things, if you have the 10 minutes, 
not that I recommend this, but have you ever just gathered up, like, here's everything that doesn't belong in this room and put it in a box and, like, close it up and put it in the closet? And It's the only approach. I mean, that's all I have left to me is I just said to my husband yesterday. Even that will take you to two in the morning. <laughs> how many big bins do we have? Because we're just binning it from now on. And then, because it's always my plan, then when the house is clean, we'll sit and go through the bins. Guess what never happens going through the bins? Yeah, the bins just live in the closet forever. And then I eventually have to do some sort of like throw out the bins, I guess. Whatever's in them must not have been that important. I have to do that with like my oh, I got entry our coat closet in our hallway. We live in an apartment, so we don't have a lot of space. Oh, the bane of your existence is that coat closet. Yeah. Is the coat closet. Because we don't, I don't have a basement or an attic or, you know, a pantry. Like we have limited storage space. And this coat closet, I cleaned it out a couple of years ago. And yet just the other day, I'm like, what is this like baseball mitt for a second grader doing in my closet? Like I thought we took care of this. Those replicate organic. They replicate by um, cell division. They just show up places. They do. And so this stuff is like, and here it is like at hand as soon as I walk in my apartment. Like there's nothing should be in there except like my social security number and, and a coat. I don't know. Like nothing that, I don't even know how I obtained these things. And it's because I have decorative bins where I don't have to see them. Oh, decorative bins. We hate them. All right. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen dot me. And use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. All right, so here's a secondary issue for us in our personal lives. Oh, good. That's what I was looking for. Do more issues. When your energy is being used up for constant decision-making, this is according to Dr. Renee Goff, another psychologist, it can deplete your frustration tolerance. Correct. Okay. So that when you've made decisions all day, you get more frustrated. This can make you irritable. Yes. It can make you resentful. Yes, it can <laughs> check make you have apathy, like just like whatever, I don't care, even though you don't mean it, which is a really bad thing. Like you're saying, I seriously do not care. And then you end up going somewhere like you don't even like Indian food, but you were you yelled at everybody that you don't care right. because you were mad. And then the last one is sort of Sounds familiar, like ruminating, like catastrophizing and ruminating about decisions that you've already made. Like I'm thinking about um, the decision that I was trying to make about whether to hold my kid back in kindergarten, which is, you know, like you were saying, at least at the time, it felt like a level one decision and one that there wasn't, the right answer is different for every kid, right? But I felt like there was a more right answer. And so I really, oh God, I struggled with this decision. And then I struggled with whether that was the right decision, right? Then I spent like the whole summer ruminating over, but should we have done the other way? And is it too late? And what if I called? And I did spend so much time going back and forth. And I'm understanding now that that's decision fatigue. It's also our old friend, Amy, illusion of control. (laughs) And I think that so much of this, we've talked about it in terms of like, somehow there is like a universal, like gigantic corporate eating the earth problem going on that like, you know, plants and stuff poisoning the rivers and all this stuff going on at this gigantic level. But somehow if I don't rinse out my spaghetti jar because I'm too tired, like I am the earth murderer. And maybe I am, but it is a little bit of an illusion of control decision-making. And I think that's what makes it feel so heavy. And that's one possible place to attack it, which is that the reality is, I know we all read the Malcolm Gladwell book that said that kids born in you know whatever month actually make the elite soccer teams. But there are certainly decisions that affect the outcome of your life. But more often than not, my husband and I were involved in a very bad accident when we were dating. And we were on a motorcycle and we crashed and he was badly injured. And we were newly dating. He had recently been divorced. I was older and looking to get married. And we, I always say, I don't think that we would have gotten married if it hadn't been for that accident, right? Because we were just on very different pages as daters. And the reason the accident happened is many things, but we were riding a motorcycle. We were at the end of the ride. He literally had the right blinker on to turn towards home. It was a gorgeous sunny day. And I said, you know what, let's take one more loop. He hit the left blinker and off we went. And like there began three children and our whole life and like everything that's happened since because we made a left instead of a right. Like that's what affects the outcome of your life much more than like I am going to redshirt or not my kindergartner. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. Yes, like where you choose to go to college may be where you meet your spouse, or it may be where you meet the mentor that changes the trajectory of your career. But which decision affects what? You just don't know at the time. And my dad has an expression that drives me absolutely crazy because he tends to say it when I'm in a very bad place. And it is never judge a crossroads. So like, okay, you got fired from your beloved job that you loved and wanted, but you don't know if that's good or bad, you know, that you actually don't know. Like when I lost my job at Nickelodeon and I was like, I don't even know what happens next. That's when I was sort of like, let me reach out to Amy and see if she wants to do a podcast. Like I get the message of never judge a crossroads, but when I'm actually crying at the crossroads, I'm not ready for that. I'm like, dad, I love this advice. Hold on to it for like a month because I'm not ready to hear it today. But it's better than like things happen for a reason, right? That it never judge a crossroads. I feel like gives you a little more agency in this. It's um, 
yeah, it's an opportunity to do something else. And yes, maybe you're not ready to hear that in the moment, but it gives you the agency instead of like the universe decided that, uh, you know, your kid wasn't going to make <laughs> varsity, whatever. But it's so interesting to me, the decision. So you're suggesting that the most important decisions that you're making, potentially, you do have no idea what they are. It was a right or left. You weren't like, which one should I decide? Right. The most important decision of my life to date is that I said, let's take one more loop. That's of all the things that have changed the outcome of my life. And there's probably a million other ones that I can't even point to. But like on a sunny day being like, ah, let's go for another half hour. It's so beautiful out here. And in some ways that's comforting and in some ways that's terrifying because you're like, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, is this a good thing that now every decision might be really important? The ones that seem important might not be and the ones that you were just going to toss off now might change the course of your life. I don't want to overthink every decision, but it is. No, and I truly, I can remember watching the Oprah Winfrey show when I was like 11, 12, 13, something like that. It was about some woman who like heard so I can't remember. The house was on fire and Oprah like looked in the camera and was like, never, ever ignore or doubt your instincts. And I swear I trace that back to like why I have OCD to this day. Like I have a total illusion of control that like Oprah told me never don't try. This is, by the way, not Oprah's fault. I'm sure it was much more hardwired than this, but like I can still remember. And then I'm like, is my instinct telling me like not to get in the car? Is my instinct like... It's not good advice. Sometimes your instinct Sometimes is asleep, ignore right? Your instinct. Sometimes your instincts are <laughs> terrible. Sometimes they're good. It's just very hard to know which one is which. And I think decisions are kind of the same way. Like, you don't know which decisions are going to be good or bad. Right. So, can you frame that as something that makes it easier for yourself instead of harder? I don't know. Yeah. I have a study. I thought this was a really interesting study. All right. Hit me with a study. I'll take it. About if you do have to make a decision, when's the best? time of day to make a decision. Okay. And so this study showed that even if you don't consider yourself a morning person, that the morning is the better time to make a decision. That tracks for me. So this is how they did it. It's pretty interesting. They took a bunch of people who were playing online chess, like an ongoing sort of online chess tournament that you could show up for and play games. And they also, by the way, took these people aside and had them do a survey on like, do you consider yourself a night owl or a morning person? And that answer had no bearing on how this turned out, which is interesting. So they looked at, they're also playing timed chess games. So they're making decisions. They're trying to make good decisions and they're trying to make good decisions quickly. So they sort of have two things coming to bear at the same time. So they watched how these people made decisions over, you know, many games, many months. And they discovered that in the morning, whether or not they considered themselves a morning person, people made better decisions. They were playing better chess, but they were playing more slowly. And then as the day went on, their response time speeded up, but their decision making was less successful and rash. And it all kind of evened out. This is the really weird part, like as they're because they, they needed to make good decisions and they needed to make them quickly. So the decisions were better, but they were slower. And then as the day went on, they got faster, but their decisions weren't as good. So it was kind of a wash. So it isn't like play chess in the morning, but it did show that if you're making their decision-making process was better in the morning. So that if you have a big decision, address it in the morning. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think that Right, like fatigue and getting overwhelmed, and then partly you rush just to be done with it. It's like Christmas shopping, right? You're like, okay, I, the first three gifts are in budget and good. And yeah. then towards the end, you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to spend all of the money and it's going to be something no one wants. You know, it's just you're tired, you're rushed, and you're, you have major, major decision fatigue. I had not gotten my spouse anything for Christmas yet. And like, as we do every year, we're like, just don't even bother. Just don't do nothing. I mean, if you had, I would be so annoyed with you. Right. I haven't. We did already have the conversation, like, just stop it. Just like, we're not going to. But then of course, like, oh, we got them a little something. Anyway, last year I bought him like a nice sweater that was remarkably like a sweater he has already. And I had to like get like, you know, double overnight shipping because I waited until the last second and then I made sort of a rash decision. Like he wears the sweater, it's fine, but was it the most rational decision I made? No, it was the last decision I made. It was the quickest. It was definitely the quickest one. Well, it's interesting because I remember hearing on that Malcolm Gladwell podcast, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's the Malcolm Gladwell podcast. And it's about how they test the not the uh, the bar exam i think but it's like it tests 
for something that lawyers don't actually do, which is making a million decisions really quickly. And that the whole idea of like, why do, and I have a niece who's currently in medical school, and there's a lot of stuff that's changing around medicine, but they still test them based on like 30 years ago. Like, you actually do not need to memorize the name of every bone in the body. Like, Mm -hmm. because it's in your pocket, in your back pocket, you can pull it up. Hey, Siri, right. It's in your pocket. That's right. So like, do we at some point evolve the skills that doctors need? Like my niece is extremely smart. She's memorized all the bones in the body, but she's extremely like personable. But like, is there's there come a point that ability to access research is more important than being able to memorize large numbers of things, which used to be a huge requirement of a doctor, right? Because you wanted somebody and maybe still in certain fields, like the ER or something, you want to be like, that's next to the bone. And it's like, okay, we're all speaking the same language. And maybe there's no time to Google it. But it it is interesting how the ability to make decisions and like the ability to recall and process information quickly is hyper valued when it's the results are not very good. Like we cannot untangle those two ideas for ourselves. Yeah, most standardized testing is kind of speed based. I know the ACT more than the SAT. I know because I've had kids who who take those tests. And yeah, that's starting to be questioned. Is like, why is being really fast at knowing the answer to something better than knowing the answer to something? And nobody's really sure exactly. And in 2023, why is knowing the answer to something better than like being able to pull out your phone and find it? You know what I mean? It's kind of like, is there a point where Google becomes a calculator? Like, oh, you don't actually have to sit and do long division on paper anymore. It's not really that useful a skill. Like maybe some math fundamentals are there, but how we test for stuff and value stuff is super interesting to me in terms of like... And we do sort of still put the emphasis on make good decisions like, oh, you know, and it's like, I'm not sure I buy it at all. I think maybe like make good decisions, make snap decisions. There's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow that argues Daniel Kahneman and his name is and that there are two sort of, you know, there's a fast way of thinking, which is overvalued in the society and the slow way might be more accurate. And then Malcolm Gladwell makes just the opposite argument in blank. He sort of posits that go with your gut, go with your instinct. It's usually right. It's not actually true. I mean, I think we just also live in a world. Let me hold this thought, Amy. Let's take a break and I'm going to lay down my thought on this topic for you. Okay. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. And now, things you will say as the holidays approach this year. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. This year, we are not going to go crazy for the holidays. We're going to keep it simple and concentrate on what really matters, which is family. Last year, we went too over the top, but this year, we are reining it in. 
Now, there are supply chain issues, and I'm going to take that as my excuse to just pare it down this year. Nothing extravagant. But listen, speaking of supply chain issues, I really need everyone's list by the Sunday before Thanksgiving, or you're getting nothing this year. Okay, and we do need to do holiday cards. That's non-negotiable. And so I don't care what it costs. I do need someone to ship me sweater vests before this Thursday. Okay, nobody got me their gift list, so I'm going to have to decide what to get everyone on my own. Wow, those sweater vests were pricey. The holiday budget is already blown, and it's only November. I thought we were doing a simple Thanksgiving potluck in the backyard. What do you mean your mother expects us to fly to Idaho? Okay, I'm out of time. The supply chain is freaking me out. I'm just going to buy all the things. Okay, but next year, we are not going crazy. This has been Things You Will Say as the Holidays Approach this year. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I think we also live in a world of like airport books where everybody's sort of like, blink. Your first decision is the best. Think slow. You'd make better decisions when you take time. Decision 101, masters of the universe make decisions in this way. And I think that it's always good to kind of remember that these things are not actually true. They get you booked on morning shows to have a provocative thesis. There are observations about the different ways people make decisions. And yes, is there something true to the blink thing of like, I remember reading an article once and thinking, this story makes no sense. And later on, it turned out that it was a fabrication, the whole article. And I was like, yeah. I mean, the second I read that, I thought, that doesn't make any sense. And it, the whole thing was like tons of editors had worked on it forever and ever and ever. But they were in it too deeply to see that, you know, as it built slowly for them, they couldn't see the logical nonsense of it. And then that's basically what happened. It's like, it went out wide and me and millions of other people read it and were like, wait, what? How did this happen? (laughs) And then it fell apart completely upon, you know, a second look. So yes, there's some truth to that. But there's also truth to like, making decisions, weighing decisions and taking time with them are better. Crowds, the wisdom of crowds, right? Like getting a group together to help make decisions. And I worked at a company that I won't name at this moment, but it just was an endless series of meetings about like, well, should we tease this launch out slowly or should we do a big surprise drop? And in every meeting, I was like, those two things are exactly equal depending on how good the product is. If it's a good show, it doesn't really matter that much. And if it's a bad show, it matters even less. Like these decisions are not, they're basically equal decisions that we're having seven meetings over debating the various points up. Yeah. It's not a real decision. And I think we can do that in our families too. Like I really, um, when it comes to vacations, we're going to go on vacations. My spouse is definitely like, I'll do whatever. And I'm sort of like, and you're like, there is a woman behind that decision. (laughs) I'm looking at Amy's notes for this episode and it says, go with the flow. Not a thing. (laughs) That's you. Not a thing. Right. So then I'm like, I have to make a decision. But then I'm going around and around on the vacation. I do sort of, you know, worry it, make it into a my precious because it needs to be the best right answer instead of something that could be. It's put on me to decide where everybody's going to go on vacation. And then I'm worried about, well, will this one have a good time? Will that one have a good time? I understand these are first world decisions. But instead of just picking something I'd like to do, like if I get to pick, then I guess we're going back to Vegas. No, I'm like, oh, should we do this or should we do that? And then I worry and worry. And up until we go on the vacation, did I pick right? Maybe we should have done this. And I think that's what's hard about being the one who makes the decisions for the family. You feel like, you know, you're going to get graded later on your decision-making process, even though you would have loved some input. But on the other hand, it can be, you can, we could for the rest of time sit around the table and say like, where should we go on our next vacation? And we'll never come to something that all five of us agree is a great idea at the same time. Right. And if you open it up to everyone, then everyone's like, see, this wasn't fun. Mine would have been better and whatever. And I also think that the sort of facile examples that we're giving, like vacation and maybe like red shirting and that kind of stuff, you can kind of be dismissive about. I do think when you have a child who has a chronic illness or a diagnosis or things where their life outcome seems very tied to the decisions that you make for them, right? Like, that they can be very haunting. The idea of like, well, if I had intervened earlier, then we could have stopped this bad outcome from happening. Or if I had found a different school, they wouldn't have 
been involved in this problem that led them to some bad outcome. And if I had not done this or that, you know, I think that this is what weighs so heavily on moms is the idea that, and we do this, right? Like, I mean, I do this in my own life where I see terrible stories about things that have gone horribly wrong with kids. And I'm like, oh, well, where did it, let me trace it. Because like somewhere that mom made a mistake that I'm not going to make. She left a window open. Right, right. And I wouldn't leave that window open. And I think that we define the world that way for other people. And then we end up being kind of beholden to that for ourselves in terms of, well, I have to be really careful with every one of my decisions so that I don't have those bad outcomes because I believe those bad outcomes happen because of someone's bad decisions. Mm. I think that's it. Like when you're talking about the left or right thing and how that changed the course of your life, when we're making decisions for our kids, it does feel like I should have signed him up for violin lessons or I shouldn't have signed him up for violin lessons. It, It feels like the decisions we're making have these sort of turn left or right? Should I hold my kid back for another year of kindergarten or not? That that is going to have these, you know, bajillionth level outcomes that you can't see in the moment and they feel heavy. And it will. That's the thing. Like if you hold your kid back from kindergarten, they will meet a different spouse than they would if you didn't hold them back from kindergarten. Like that's crazy, but it's true. You know, in the same way, I mean, there's a, I won't even get into the full story of it, but There is a thing in my family that if JFK had not been assassinated when he was assassinated, it my dad was working in government at the time, it changed the government structures around. He ended up moving to Washington, D.C., where he met my mom and they got married. So like, basically, in our family lore, if JFK isn't assassinated when he's assassinated, I don't exist, right? And I think it can be both sides. Like it can be very comforting in terms of like, okay, I'm so worried about redshirting my kid. Meanwhile, there is a historical event happening somewhere that is going to shape the entire outcome of the universe that I have zero control over. But it can also make every left turn and right turn feel super heavy. Like, and it is true that the, again, not to be facile, like it is true that like how you decide to parent your kids will have an effect on how their lives turn out. It's You can't just be like, oh, don't worry about it, because it is true that your decisions to interact with your kids in certain ways will have positive and negative effects for them that are very hard to understand and quantify. So sorry. You know, when you said historical event, we did an episode during the pandemic called pandemic decision fatigue that was more particularly related to like, I'm so tired of trying to read the tea leaves on this mask. Okay, here, but I don't need it here. You know, what should I be doing and how hard all that was. And I do think we're all, and I'll just speak for myself while I was busy worrying about, was I picking the right summer camp for my kid for summer 2020, right? (laughs) Around the corner was a global pandemic that would change everything about the way we lived. And it didn't matter where my kid was going to go to summer camp because the answer was nowhere because everything was closed. I do think that sometimes underpins it for me too. The I need to make sure everything's going to be okay and keep an eye out for something that might change everything, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm looking for exactly, but I need to keep scanning the horizon for that X factor that will impact, should be impacting my decisions, only how can it when I don't know what it is? For sure. I mean, there are headlines this week that are like, oh, the soft lockdown in Sweden was the most effective. It was better than leaving everything open and it was better than hard lockdowns. I mean, it's one study, whatever. All this to say, People are going to use it to be like, see, this person was wrong and this governor stunk and this one was great. Everybody's just trying to make the decisions with the information they have at the time. Like, yes, if we could all make decisions four years out for what the best behavior was four years ago, we'd be much better at it, you know, because we would have the information we needed that like, okay, outdoors, you're probably fine. Close contact, you want this. Turns out the cloth masks weren't so great. Like, yes, it's easy to go back and say like, well, these people made right and wrong decisions. That's only knowing what we know now, right? You don't have the information when you're trying to make the decisions. And so I think also that it's just good to keep in mind because it lets you off the hook again a little bit, which is like, I'm going to do the best with the information that I have, do better, know better. I'm going to change my decisions later on. But, you know, maybe, 
you can't go back and be like, oh, this decision I would have done differently. There's lots of things I would have done differently if I had known. And some of them, I think all the time, my our school system in the town that I live is much smaller than I realized. So it's one class that goes through K through 12th. If I had known that, I would not have moved to this town because I don't think that's great for kids to spend 12 years with the same 150 kids or whatever it is. But I'm glad I didn't know because now I'm really happy living here. My kids are doing fine. Like, it's fine. Turns out that was not the biggest factor. Turns out it was in a constellation of factors less important than the fact that they walk and there's this and this one met this great friend and this one gets these great services. And it's just hard to know which of the factors is going to be important. I have a couple of tips I've collected on decision fatigue and how to make things a little bit easier because we're going to continue to be the decision makers. This one was interesting. I hadn't really thought of this, that turning off alerts and notifications to the extent that you can is good because those are actually micro decisions. Like if a text comes in and you're distracted by like, should I answer that now? Or should I go, well, what do we, am I free next Tuesday? Even if you don't answer, it starts like it stacks decisions right then. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, turn off notifications because that is going to cut down on the number of decisions you make. We've talked about it a lot. I will say I have finally like disengaged from what used to be Twitter and I've gotten some social media off my phone and disengaged from like the daily, turned off all the alerts that are like, here's another terrible thing happening somewhere today. And it has improved my quality of life. I still mess around on my phone too much and watch too much TikTok and stuff, but I have disengaged somewhat from the like uh, crisis roller coaster. And I'm going to say it's working pretty well for me. Another one is that you... Well, this person was suggesting that you should decide the night before, but we just learned that you make better decisions in the morning. Whenever is your happy time of day is a good time to make decisions. This person was suggesting lay out your clothes the night before, decide, you know, what's for lunch the night before, do all that stuff the day before. You'd rather rush into it the last minute. <laughs> I'd rather rush into it last minute. I'm never going to do that. Yep. And I don't want to make decisions at night. I would say introduce the phrase, I'm not making any decisions right now. That's what's really helped me. Mm -hmm. I, my husband will occasionally at 10 o'clock at night, as we're like getting ready for bed, be like, should we travel to blah, blah, blah on Tuesday or Wednesday? I'm like, this is not a decision time for me. Let's talk about it tomorrow. I've realized that that after dinner is not a good time to be like, let's talk about how much we're going to give to the... Let's take an hour on right. Saturday morning over coffee <laughs> right. and talk about it then. I'll be rested. I'll be ready to do it, but not... No, thank you. I think it's a good idea too that to to take turns being the one who gets who has to decide and the one who goes along with whatever. Like, why am I the one who plans all our family vacations? Is it because I like to be in control? Probably a little bit, but why? But it's also because everybody else likes to just show up at the airport. So I can hand that over. I don't have to do that every time. Decisions, big or small, don't all have to be in... I don't have to decide what's for dinner every night. I'm big on the phrase and I use it at work too. tag your it. I mean, I say it like sometimes I'm like, hey, can I give you this tag your it like you take this? And you do say this all the time. It, <laughs> it's, it's good. I do. I say it all the time. But it just it means to me like I'm out. You decide this and I trust you to make this. And like, I trust you. There are decisions that come up because Amy and I work together now in so many different ways that like, all right, we need to like bring our heads together on this. But if it's like, I don't know what font we're going to use for this, I, I feel like you are better design. I'm like, can I just say tag your it? Like whatever you decide is fine. And then that also cuts me off from coming back later and being like, this font doesn't look good. I mean, like, this is your decision. And similarly, like, this is your your decision. But the big rule is then you're not allowed to come back later and be like, I don't like the way it looks. I don't like that part. <laughs> but you're right. If you're out, you're out. Right. And if, if you're out, you're out. And if you're the one, you know, if you're the little red hen that had to do all the work and everybody comes back like, oh, I don't like, you know, sourdough bread. Like, well, too bad because you let me decide and I decided. I'm going to try to get better at being that person. You didn't vote. You don't get to complain. Come on, people. Right. And I think we should close with the, really the best advice we've ever heard on this entire subject, which is from the lazy genius, decide once. Decide once. This is so smart. Decide once means every time someone you know has a baby, you give them this pink sweater from this store. Right. That's me. That's my decide once, the, the same baby sweater. Every 12th birthday party gets a gift card for $30 from Target. And like, it, you don't have to make decisions. And I do this a lot now. Like, it's fine to decide once what's for dinner on certain days. Friday is always takeout. 
And then if you want to have two floating days, you're like, oh, I saw something cool on Pinterest. I'm going to try that for Wednesday. The fewer, yeah, solve your decisions one time in every area possible. I think about that all the time too. Decide once. Oh, I'm getting better at it. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not great at it, but I do come back to it. It's like, wow, that was good advice if Mm -hmm. I could do it, which maybe I can't. Look, take our advice. Do as we say, not as we do here. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God, don't model your life on mine. You'll be a sad person in a mess, but please take my advice on how to do it. Make a great decision. Those who can't do teach, Amy. (laughs) Have you ever heard that expression? Those who can't do podcast. Exactly. Amy, we've solved it. As always, we solved decision fatigue. Decisions solved. I'm refreshed. I'm ready. Just, you know, send me your tough, thorny questions and I'm ready to solve like a hundred. I have so much energy right now. Except for we have one more decision for people to make. Although we've decided it for you. You will be subscribing to What Fresh Hell Plus. With What Fresh Hell Plus, you get an ad-free 700-episode archive of every episode we've ever done. So you can gorge on your listening. And then we also get um, monthly bonus episodes where we talk about whatever we feel like talking about. This month's episode is going to be what we're asking for for Christmas. And I'm really curious what you're going to say. I have a great bonus episode idea I just came up with. I'm going to tell you when we finish today. Okay, you'll have to wait. Yeah. And so to sign up for What Fresh Hell Plus, I'll put the link in the show notes, or you just go to our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com, and like, tick, 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 two taps, and you're subscribed right where you already listen. Please do that. And with that, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. So long. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.